Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. We welcome you to join us today in this episode. We have recently begun a series in the Gospel of John, Behold Your God. In the first episode, we talked about what if God was one of us, and we looked at John chapter 1. In John 1, we saw what I will call the, the first 48, the first 48 hours, the first two days of the public ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We found out in John chapter 1 who he is. Jesus of Nazareth is eternal God. He has always existed. He exists now, and he always will exist eternally. We saw who he is. We saw why he came. He came to save sinners, to bring salvation to a lost and hopeless mankind. We saw where he was from. He came from heaven. We saw in the first 48 of his public ministry how he selected personally and individually five of his 12 disciples. So Christ has launched his public ministry here, and we go today to John chapter 2. Now, if you're relatively new to the Bible and you're not exactly sure where this this book called John is, let me give you some directions here, an address, so to speak. If you will go to the Bible, maybe you have a, literally have a Bible in front of you, it's in the last half of the Bible in what's called the New Testament. If you can find the first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, then you will see next the Gospel of Mark. So it's Matthew, Mark, then the Gospel of Luke. Well, the Gospel of John is the fourth Gospel right after the Gospel of Luke. So I'm reading from the King James Version. That's the version that I grew up with and just about all of my scripture memory is from the King James. So uh, that's why I use that. You may be using a different translation. But we're going to look today at the meaning of miracles Often we have a saying like, Lord, I need a miracle today, and Lord, could you just do a miracle and help me out? We think in terms of, uh, often, of miracles being something that will, that will help us. And when God does a miracle for us, it certainly, certainly helps us personally. But we're going to see today the, the higher meaning, uh, the deeper meaning, the bigger reason that Christ performs miracles. And this is going to be especially clear in John chapter 2 today. Now, I want to give you a little background, and this may seem a little strange, but after I do it, it will make more sense when we get into John 2. Christians have differing opinions on the use of alcoholic beverages. Personally, I have chosen 
not to partake of alcoholic beverages, so I don't drink wine or beer and that, that sort of thing, because I have been a pastor, and I just I believe that's what I should do. And the faith tradition that I grew up in largely held to that, although I'm sure some people in it didn't. <laughs> but we're going to see today that Jesus is going to turn water into wine. And maybe you've had questions about, you know, how did he do that and, and why did he do that and, and what did it mean? But I want to give you a little homework here. This is something you'll have to do on your own. And this is about to be a revelation to many of you. Because many of you who are already believers in Christ come from faith traditions that d d really don't have very much prohibition, if any, on alcohol. And there may even be a great degree of, uh, let's just call it like it is, drunkenness among people in, in your particular Christian religion that you're involved in. Uh, what I want to say here is this, two or three things before we get into this miracle. Number one, if you will do an online search and you will do a search on ancient wine, uh, types of wine in ancient times, you know, that, that type of search, you will be a, astonished at what you find out and you're going to be surprised at what you, what you didn't know about this subject. There were many types of wines throughout ancient history. And in the nation of Israel, where Jesus is going to perform this miracle, and, and not just there, but um, this would be true in, in many parts of the world at that time, wine was often mixed with water. So what I want to combat against here today very clearly is the Lord Jesus Christ did not create something that made everyone who drank that wine falling down drunk. Because you often hear people justify uh, their abuse of alcohol or their use of alcohol, and they refer to this very miracle. So we're definitely not saying that, and you cannot use this miracle to support um, that type of thing. The Bible condemns drunkenness. Point blank, it does. So however we may uh, discuss and, and philosophize, so, uh, can I say that word today? You know what I mean. Uh, talk about this whole issue of alcohol and the Christian. Clearly, drunkenness is not okay. And Jesus did not create something that, that was a detriment to these people here or to the couple uh, being married. So anyway, you can search that on your own and you'll be very surprised. It's easy to find. It's all documented. And, it's, and just so you know, if you have questions about it, many of the sources are not Christian sources at all. They're just secular historians and scientists and so forth from modern times as well as people who lived back in that day. And you're just going to be surprised, totally surprised at what you read. So I, I dare you to go read it. But uh, for sure, we cannot use this passage to justify the abuse of alcohol. In no way was the Lord Jesus Christ 
saying that was okay or advocating that in any way. And in Israel at that time, uh, you know, basically this, I would say, was like water. I mean, in terms of people needing something to drink, this is what they drank primarily. So uh, you can imagine it could not have been that strong uh, to be something that they needed to to have liquid, you know, like we would drink water, bottled water today. So anyway, I don't want to get real deep into that, but I just want to give you that background and that context. Now, let's go to John chapter 2, and we're going to look at the third day. Now, this is the third day after the first two days, the first 48 of the public ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go to John 2, and let's just go right to verse 1. In the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, that is the idea that they they lacked or ran out of the wine for the marriage, and when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith to you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. The beginning of miracles did Je- this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. So here is what is often called the miracle of turning the water into wine. This was a Jewish wedding, and those lasted usually about a week. It was an elaborately choreographed and orchestrated community event. This was not like a small, you know, uh, the bride and groom and their family, and that was it. I mean, if it, if it was in a village, the whole village came. If it was in a town or a city, you know, pretty much everybody came. It was a big deal. And the, the reputations of the families on both sides were at stake. I mean, this had to be something that, that was just done right and done well. To run short of wine at one of these events would have been a catastrophe. 
You, it just didn't happen. It couldn't happen. And yet it did in this case. I don't know why, but, you know, they, they ran out. And so the mother of Jesus, Mary, brings this up to our Lord. And he basically says back to her, now I'm paraphrasing, that it's, it's not time for me to, you know, fully declare who I am. You know, sort of like people aren't ready yet and, and you're asking me to do something that is it's kind of out, of out of time, out of sync, ahead of time. But uh, Mary, for whatever reason, I don't know why, and I, I don't think she did anything wrong, she forged on. So she tells the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. So Jesus, as we just read, tells them to fill these water pots. Now, how much is a, a firkin? A firkin, we don't use that word very much, it's about 11 gallons, or if you're in Canada or Europe or Australia or probably anywhere else around the world except the United States, that would be about 41 liters. It was a lot of volume in each one of those stone pots. So those pots were there, those big stone containers, um, to hold water so that the the guests could purify themselves and be ceremonially clean for the event and, and worship and so on. So he tells them, fill, fill these up. So think about it like this. Everybody standing there watching can see the water right at the top of those pots, you know, up to the brim and, and probably running over. And there's no, um, like, uh, uh, ceremony or anything that Jesus does. He just says, hey, draw some out and take it to the governor of the feast. And the servants did this and it was, it was wine. Well, how did he do that, Ed? Jesus is God. Jesus created, we saw this in, in chapter one of John, he created everything that exists. And by the way, as Genesis claims, he did that out of nothing that exists. Now, only God can do that. And if God could create the universe and the world in which we live that way, it's no big deal for him to turn water to wine. So this gets the attention of everybody there of that, I'm sure. And it was simply amazing. Now, by the way, this miracle was not done secretly in a corner where somebody made up a story. Obviously, Jesus witnessed it because he performed it. At least five disciples were there. We saw them earlier in John 1. John, the writer of this gospel, John was there, Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. There could have been more disciples by now, but I, I would say probably it was at this point in time, those five that was just mentioned in chapter one. So they're there. Mary was there. But then if you uh, look into John um, 2.12, it says, after this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. So 
this may be a shock to many of you who were not taught this in the Bible as you have been in church and grew up, but the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, was the son of Mary. Joseph was his stepfather, but Mary and Joseph had children of their own after Jesus was born. So Jesus had, if you'll think of it this way, half brothers, and I, I, uh, I think he had, I can't remember how many sisters, but he had sisters as well. Well, at least his brothers were there and maybe the sisters too. A lot of people saw this miracle. The servants who bear the, the newly created wine to the governor, the ruler of the feast, I don't know how many of them there were, they knew it. They stood there and saw this happen. I'm sure the governor, the ruler of the feast, was told of this miracle, how this came about. No doubt the bridegroom and bride heard about it in their families. And I'm sure by the time it was all over, everybody there heard about this. This was a publicly attested to miracle that Christ performed. There was no denying it. The proof was right there in front of everybody. And this was the first miracle that Christ did in his public ministry. But we were talking earlier saying that the episode title today is The Meaning of Miracles. Did Jesus only do this to, uh, to assist his mother's concern and assist the wedding party and those there out of uh, concern and love for them? Well, I'm sure he did it for those reasons, no doubt. But the greater reason that Christ did this miracle, we just read it, and I want, you, I want you to go back to it in John 2, verse 11. And I misread it earlier. Let me see if I can get it right this time. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cain of Galilee, and watch this, and manifested forth his glory. Now that's something that only God does, right? And manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. That's the greater purpose, the greater meaning of the miracles the Lord does in the Bible or even if God answers a prayer of yours miraculously. It's not only that you're request or need is granted or answered. It's that you will praise him and point others to him and people will actually come to believe in him as God. So this is the first miracle in the public ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we saw the wedding, but now we know the why. Why did he do that? to help people come to faith in him as Savior and Lord. But then we go a little further into Gospel of John, and we go to the rest of chapter 2. Now let's go to chapter 2, verses. Uh, let's start at verse 12, and we're going to see the religion that the Lord Jesus Christ encountered 
here in John 2. Things had really gone downhill. Everything was way off course. The wheels had come off the wagon religiously for the bulk of the Jewish people because he's going to go to the temple where where you should be able to expect the true worship of God. And there was so much going on, it was pretty hard to worship God in his own house. So in John 2, let's read in verse 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples. And they continued there not many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is in the mountains in Israel, so they were down in Capernaum, and they had to go up that elevation up to the city of Jerusalem. Verse 14, And found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. Now, I want you to think about this. If a true worshiper of God went to the temple in Jerusalem at Passover, like we're talking about right here, it was like trying to worship and focus on God in the middle of the New York Stock Exchange. (laughs) It was like trying to worship God at a cattle auction. There was money to be made. There was livestock to be moved because more money could be made. There was uh, the conversion of, you know, one type of coin into another so that offerings could be given at the temple. And this was just a mess. And yet this was the place, according to the Bible, that God said that his house would be called a house of prayer for all nations. And yet, it would be pretty hard to pray in that situation. Things were just off the rails. They were out of control in the house of God. So God comes into his house. Jesus is God. He walks into his temple where he has every right to be joyously worshipped, seriously celebrated and focused on. And yet it was just, he called it, a den of thieves. Wow. So what happens? Well, in John 2, 14, we see, he's talking about Jesus now, and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and saith unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. And that's a quotation from Psalm 69, verse 9. 
Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. And he needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Wow. We see the religion that the Lord Jesus Christ walked into. And as I was reading this week here in John 2 and and listening to it, I started doing a lot more listening, and that's been a, a great experience. I thought about something. We see that he made a a, uh, scourge of small cords. And I wondered, I can't prove this either way, but I wondered if the Lord just made it, uh, you know, more of a symbolic, I mean, it was real, but more of, you know, he could have made it of long cords, if you follow me. Nobody was actually going to be hurt by this but he would make his point. And uh, he was able to move the sheep and the oxen out of the, out of the temple where, you know, they, they didn't belong like they were in there and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and told them, and I, I noticed this, that he didn't like uh, knock over the little cages with the little doves in them. He just told those people, basically, take these doves out of here. And it just kind of, I've read this and and heard this, of course, I'm really old, so I've heard and read this a lot, but it just hit me this week that the Lord Jesus Christ didn't harm anyone. That's the way I read this anyway. I mean, nobody really got hurt. Now, they got mad, but uh, he didn't hurt the animals or hurt the people, but he got them out of his house. And... I just I just noticed that this week, and, and maybe maybe I'm reading that into that. I don't think I am, but uh, that's just reminded me that's just like the Lord to make His point and give people a chance to repent. You know, and nobody was hurt. <laughs> but I don't know why that stood out to me this week, but it did. But anyway, He cleansed His temple, and the reason He did this was so that worship could take place there. And you know what happened after he did this? Many people saw these miracles. They they saw this event. They heard what he taught and they trusted him. They believed in his name. They came to faith in him because that's that's the greater meaning even of this 
cleansing of the temple, the, the religion here. But when he was confronted by the Jewish uh, high priest and priests and so forth, the religious officials there, they demanded of him a sign. And we see that in verse 18. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? So they, they demand some kind of sign. And this is going to be a common pattern in the public ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He heals the sick. He gives sight to the blind. He heals the lepers. He gives hearing to the deaf. He raises the dead. He frees people from demon possession. And they walk through the whole gospel of all the gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, saying, what sign do you show us? <laughs> Is that, now that's amazing. But Jesus answers this question, this challenge. It wasn't really a question. It, it was more of a challenge, as, as you'll see. Verse 19, Jesus answered and said unto them, and he's, he's talking about his body now, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And of course, they completely missed his point and uh, said, hey, it took 46 years to build this glorious, wonderful temple, and you can, you can rebuild it in three days. But he was talking about his body. He's talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. And you know what? Hey, guess what happened? If you've never read or heard the rest of the story, and we'll see it as we go through John. He was uh, tried, crucified, dead, buried, and the third day he rose victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave, just like he said. And even then, many of the Jewish leaders refused to believe in him. And many did believe among the priests. But many were, were stubbornly, intentionally, deliberately rejecting Christ. So again, we see that religion, but he talks about the resurrection. That's the sign. They demanded one. He said, oh, you'll get one when on the third day I raise myself from the dead. Wow. Now, in verse 19, we saw there, well, you know, again, what, what is the purpose of that? Well, uh, we see, uh, I'm sorry, the wrong verse. Go to 22. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, Many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. Wow, the whole, the whole purpose of all of this was to point to Jesus Christ as God and the only Savior and Lord, the only hope of fallen, sinful, hell-bound people like me and like you. If you have come to this podcast today out of curiosity or maybe desperately seeking hope and wondering 
How can I get over my sin? How can that be forgiven? How can I live forever in heaven? I'm, I'm so sinful and unworthy. I've got great news for you today. Jesus Christ, this same Jesus we're reading about here in John 2, He came on purpose to save you. He did. He wants you to bow not only your knees, but bow your heart and your life to Him. To realize who He is and what He has done so that your sins could be paid for and wiped out, forgiven, never to be brought up to you again, and that you could have new life through Him and a life that will never end, eternal life, and live forever with Him in heaven because of who He is, what He has done, and that you have trusted in Him as your own God, your own Savior, your own Lord. You may be Muslim today or Hindu or Buddhist or any other type of religion in the world, and yet you've come seeking hope. Hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. I hope that you will receive him as your Savior and Lord. If you are already a Christian, I hope this study today in John 2 has strengthened your faith in Christ and your resolve with his, his empowerment to live the life of faith in him as a witness for him that he will empower you to be and to do. Thanks again for listening to God's word here and this week in the word I hope you are actually truly growing in your knowledge of the Word of God and your walk with Christ. I hope that you are praising and glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ for who He is, God come in human form. I'm asking you, if you would, to email somebody today and tell them about this podcast. Ask them to listen. There's a way to share that through that app. If you need to tell somebody, maybe you don't remember how you got to this podcast, tell them, just type in www.dredhill.podbean.com. Remember that that doctor part, the DR, has no period after it. It's just D-R-E-D-H-I-L-L.podbean.com. Tell people about this, that they may grow in their knowledge of the Word of God and their walk with Christ. And some of them that you know and you love, maybe co-workers, family, friends, neighbors, fellow students at school, they need to know Christ. And this podcast can lead them to personal faith in Christ. So I hope you will let people know I look forward to seeing you again. Can't actually see you on a podcast or you see me. But I look forward to you listening again on the next episode next week. God bless and have a great week in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.